This is part two of my interview with Dr. Mary Schneider, where he describes breathtaking stories on how people with debilitating disease were able to heal themselves by doing exercises and being determined to change their life around. I hope you enjoy. I have one lady that I was able to keep on her feet for 40 years, 40 years. But then, for example, she walked in a supermarket and she was limping. And a policeman came and gave her a breath test. That made things very hard on her. She didn't want to go to any place. She didn't want to wander in stores. She didn't want to go to restaurants. She felt very uh, isolated. And immediately she lost her ability to walk because, you know, she was weak due to the multiple sclerosis. And so that's one example. And then uh, she started to have osteoporosis, so she would fall and break bones. And Did that's you're what. That with, with your methods, she was able to walk for 40 years? Yes. And then um, a policeman mista mistaken her limping to maybe being drunk? Yeah, exactly. And so she she got this this breath test and she was so embarrassed from this request of the policeman that she didn't feel like she could go out again. Exactly. I met a beautiful lady with multiple sclerosis who went to the wheelchair and she was very pretty. I mean, I'm looking at you, so you remind me of that. Uh, uh, she was very pretty and she felt so embarrassed to go outside and uh, I remember that there was a therapist who worked with me and she would only go to the doctor if he would take her there. Because I remember the first time that she was ever in the outdoors after getting to the wheelchair was when I carried her down three, step, uh, three flight of steps and put her in the sun here in San Francisco in her house, you know, in her parents' house. And she could be in the sun and rest there because... It, it, it was so embarrassing. So uh, I'm, I want to say that quite a bit, it's not only multiple sclerosis, a disease where it's more of a problem of the muscles, like uh, muscular dystrophy, Becker's muscular dystrophy. I know one guy from Hungary, he came to me and he really improved a lot. Uh, he had muscular dystrophy and he was able to somehow limp and walk with canes. And one day he fell and bro broke his thigh, his femur. And since then he was in a wheelchair. And when he came here, he came in a wheelchair and then we were able to get him in in-between situation where his wife would hold him and he could cross the room, which gave him a sense of dignity. But what I want to say is much of our story is our life. What happened in life makes a difference. So to remember again, we want to work as many muscles as we can. We want to start and stimulate our capillaries so we will have better blood flow. Um, we want to uh, be centered in our body. So when we're centered, that we, when we walk, we walk and there's a sense of uh, connection to gravity. And uh, we want uh, to be able to use our joints fully. And those of you who watch the video, you can see that some movements it's hard for you to do. Even me, almost at the age of 67, I can do this kind of movement, right? Most people can't easily do that, you know? So 
the ability to mobilize your hips, mobilize your shoulders, mobilize your ankles. And that is very important for us to not over-exercise, to not over-strain ourselves, to also so not, not over-stretch ourselves, but to work in a balanced way. Are you, are you saying that, uh, you know, th this model that we have that uh, I, I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to for sure, where we have uh, many seniors, you know, who are unable to take care of themselves at a certain point in age, uh, going to old folks homes, unable to really mobilize, unable to walk. Do you really believe that a lot of those people don't have to uh, suffer that fate? if they start to mobilize themselves, if they start to work on exercises to strengthen, do you think pretty much anybody can do it? Because you're saying that people with MS could do it then. Let's start with the fact that people overwork the body. So the exercise become too hard on them. So we have to learn to make exercises um, easy. And second of all, let's, uh, let's continue with the fact that we need to have full mobility. So if I move my shoulder and I rotate my shoulder, I want to make sure I have full rotation. So actually what I want to say is that the exercise we can do could be gently done and fully done. We can use the imagination. For example, if I move my shoulder in rotating motion in both directions, I also visualize that uh, my shoulder uh, my, my shoulder is moving fully and that is the whole point to mobilize as much as we can of ourselves so you're saying that even if somebody's not able to move almost at all they they should start by imagining themselves moving. Right. or even if you move but not perfectly you can close your eyes have a sense of how you move and slowly slowly the body will perfect itself so let's go back to the eyes. Uh, let's is, go you know, to my daughter. Let's go to my yeah, daughter. Your daughter. What you're describing here is, is amazing. And it seems like really when you start to take care of uh, the body as a whole, as a holistic model, then uh, it really, you started with the eyes, but you're dealing with all of these things. So, but let's go back. Yes. Let, what happened with your daughter? Well, you know, it was her, uh, a little bit before her 10th birthday. My two kids were born with cataracts like myself. And I've discovered that um, uh, af a generation after mine, they learned that the time to operate the eyes is two weeks of life. That if they move the lens at the age of two weeks of life, people can see better. That's the time to, um, to operate the eyes. And... Um, that the brain shuts off the whole idea of visual development at the age of eight weeks. They did not know it before they did experiments on monkeys and kittens. They would patch the eyes in a critical time of brain development, and even if the eyes were normal, they wouldn't see. So if you had cataract, which is obst obstruction of the lens, or if you had another problem and you did not see in a critical time, most likely you won't have such a good vision uh, and you would be either blind or legally blind. Well, uh, 
they operated her eyes at the age of two and three weeks and her vision was okay it was uh, basically 20 30 20 40 about uh, 80 to 90 percent and then it became 20 80 40 percent of normal and I uh, didn't understand why then I understood she doesn't like the kindergarten she was in so I took her out of the kindergarten and her vision improved and then what happened is uh, she went to be tested I wasn't during the first test in uh, the hospital where normal tests where she would go to an optometrist and the optometrist would uh, test her and uh, then she would go to the ophthalmologist she used to have an optometrist a nice male optometrist whom she felt very comfortable with so he tested her and she always saw well with him but with that optometrist was a nice lady oriental woman but very nervous she put stronger and stronger prescription on my daughter and the vision became uh, 40% of normal vision with glasses wow. and uh, then uh, I came and I put a patch over her left eye and asked her we were in a top floor ask her to look at cars and she would look at cars and tell me about the cars and um, when she went to see a doctor she actually was able to see uh, about 70% without glasses and first time at the age of 10 she was able to see 2020 minus 1 basically 98% of normal vision so here she would see 40% even less with that optometrist to put another lens and another lens another lens and there seeing her ophthalmologist now the difference is her ophthalmologist knew her from the age of two weeks and he was kidding with her a lot uh, he said um, I'm looking at, at your eye and he says and I see things so she said what do you see she said I see you have boyfriend so she yelled I don't have any boyfriend so she asked he asked her which food do you like so she said pizza well what do you think about the pizza in the cafeteria pizza so she talked to him like you talk to an uncle right so she was relaxed and she saw as good as she could see him which shows you that vision fluctuates even if your vision is perfect that time when it's worse and that time when it's better and with my daughter who right now uh, works a lot with her eyes she um, it works for a company that helps people get grants for different projects and I'm very proud of her she raised a lot of money for important uh, things but it's a lot of paperwork that daughter of mine uh, is uh, very special and what she's able to do and so my son and my daughter see better than anyone who was born with cataracts and the combination of eye exercises and the right surgery in the right time made a big difference for them. Are you saying that maybe uh, from what you know, people say who are going to take a test, uh, maybe the uh, MCAT or it could be the SATs or anything, uh, that because of stress, they might not even be able to read as well? Absolutely. 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 Now, let me give you a point of criticism to you, Maya. 
Yeah? Okay, go I'm ahead. I'm looking at you and you're bending your neck. And it is so common. And I'm looking at Congress. I'm looking at Congress. I'm looking at uh, the Israeli parliament. I'm looking at presidents. And they move their head like this. And when they bend the neck, they prevent a lot of blood flowing to the head. And so you probably read a lot and uh, you work with computers and with phones. You can see the and stack of books behind me. Those are not fake, yeah. but I read them. <laughs> I'm, I'm very proud of you and I'm very proud to be on your show. But what happens to you is what happens to many dignities, uh, many dignitaries. You bend your neck forwards. That means you tense your chest. That means that some muscles in your upper back became weak. And that means that uh, you don't get as much blood flow to your head as you should, basically. Very good observation. Uh, not sure about the dignitaries, but I can say that uh, since a young age, I always had a tense neck. And I, I have now, I have a tendency to move my neck to the right towards uh, one shoulder because I always was with a stiff neck as a child. You and should get this. You see this bunger ball? and hit your shoulders with it, you know, and hit your chest and hit the back. And what does it do? Does it bring more circulation to the Yeah, it, it takes a lot of the tension that you build up and helps you get rid of that tension. So it's basically you... a rubber ball that you hit on your shoulders. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Beat yourself up for about uh, half a minute each shoulder and half a minute each part of the back and the chest and you'd feel 10 times better, you'd feel lighter. Well, it's better than self-criticism. This is at least uh, it does the job uh, quicker. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, but the, I I think that you're a great interviewer and you seem to be very educated, so that's wonderful. And um, but uh, what happens to many of us, you know, when you bend the neck a little bit, then every centimeter is ten times harder and takes more effort because you also have to. Uh, to make sure that, I mean, when the head goes down, there are other muscles that pull it back. So there's a lot of fight between them. But another thing is that sitting is one of the worst things that we can do to ourselves. And we do it a lot. We sit a lot. So one of my recommendations is that every 20 minutes after you sit, uh, as you sit, stand up and stretch your leg backwards, push your chest yeah. forwards. Not stretch. And let your... Um, back rest from uh, from sitting so long you know it's a real good thing to do basically so okay yeah so you, you're more of a standing desk type of uh, person you would suggest standing desks for people but they also need to relax but I'm more for standing than for sitting but you can stand and you can sit if you stand a lot you should also pay attention to your muscles so for example uh, you should mobilize your uh, toes so you lift the toes one by one up you keep the heels on the floor and you lift the toes one by one up it makes um, a huge difference basically is that those exercises that you were just doing with lifting your uh, the top of your feet up uh, is that good for people who have arch issues I mean some people have like a hypertension in their arch uh, some people have too little uh, and then they one have the and one of the things they can do is walk to the side, like the way I'm walking forwards and On backwards. The sides of their feet. Side of the feet. 
also for women I really like to I mean as much as I want to do the movement of the shins which really helps strengthen and uh, helps us have better control I also like the tapping and the uh, tapping to help the bones build up really nicely. You're lifting your heels up. You're lifting your heels up and kind of hitting down. Yeah, exactly. The or the whole foot. So you either lift the heels uh, or or the whole foot to create rattling and help the bones quite a bit. So you know, I hope that one of these days you will be a talk show host and we can do a lot of questions and answers with your audience. Well, maybe I'll, ha I'll have you uh, on there when, when I get there one day, maybe. <laughs> oh, I feel that with your capacity to interview and with your wisdom, you probably will get there. Ah, thank you. you you're a really kind man. And I can, I can see also that with, with the way that you um, bring so much of yourself uh, to even just, you know, as, as something as like an interview, I feel that part of why people have uh, been able to improve their situation with their eyes, which can be something very despairing, right? To, to not have eyesight. It's something that people can feel like it's their death sentence, right? I will be yeah. with Braille the rest of my life, or I will be with MS the rest of my life. But I think you bring an approach of, no, it's actually not a death sentence you can get out of this situation. You can be active, you can work hard, you can be diligent, and you will change the way that you, your body is. Absolutely. And that the resources are with us. We have all the resources to do it. That's what I wanted to say. Mayo, tell me, why do you walk in the dark? This is one of your exercises that you also suggest people to oh, do. Oh, I love to walk in the dark. I'll tell you exactly why. Um, uh, if you take a look at how the world is, we have uh, morning lights, then we have a sunrise, then we have daylight, then we have a sunset, then we have twilight, then we have darkness. And for two million years, when we lived in the jungle and when we live in nature, we used to pay attention to the dark. We could see in the dark. Look how well Bedouins see, and they often work at night because the desert is too hot in the daytime, and they have amazing vision in the dark, right? But what happens to all, most of us is that we no more have dark. What happens is that we have city lights. You cannot see stars for most cities. Uh, you're from Ontario, I think, right? Or maybe Toronto? Yeah. yeah, there's no. A what? No, a little bit further away from Toronto in uh, right. Waterloo. But in Toronto, there's no darkness. In San Francisco, New York, Tel Aviv, Sao Paulo, there's no darkness. And we miss a lot. Our periphery is not expanding that way. We need to expand our periphery. And the uh, glaucoma, which leads to death of optic nerve due to pressure of the eyes. Part of the pressure comes because we don't exercise enough of our periphery. And when people look at their smartphone, before you know, there is nothing around them, just 
what's the smartphone. So when we do a night walk, our peripheral vision opens. Our pupils open within three minutes and nine times larger than they were at, in the daytime. But it takes 40 minutes to adjust to the periphery. And that's how nature was. There is sunset, twilight, and then opening and opening and opening. But these days, even before sunset, many people turn the lights on. Now here, in a very unbalanced way, because I have this wonderful interview, we have a lot of light in this room. Why do we have light in this room? Because, uh, and it's definitely an eyesore, you know, to have lights in the room. Before you, I had um, uh, two um, Zoom sessions. That was with light in this room, you know, so uh, that's the whole point. Right, so you suggest people to gradually turn off the lights, uh, to go to bed uh, maybe earlier. Uh, what, what and to have, to have dark night is the best thing. And if you're in a friendly environment in the summer, when it's nice in the evening, to take a nice walk in the dark. And we have a very nice exercise where we tell people to put a small paper between their eyes, wave their hands to the side. What we do is we um, take a masking tape and we, um, we basically make, um, our, uh, we basically roll it so we, we make it kind of double edge. It, it sticks to both sides. Right, yeah, so we take a mask, right? And um, not duct tape, yeah? Masking, oh. masking tape or uh, micropore, scotch tape, and they put it between the eyes and then the periphery starts to work much better. That's- so you put a square of paper yeah. on bridge of your nose. And sometimes we walk like this in the dark for a little bit. Sometimes in the dark we rub our hands and we palm and rest the eyes and sometimes in the dark we do a long swing exercise. Uh, so those are the type of things that we're doing, basically. And it's important to develop the periphery and well, the, the, because it develops the ability to see and it, and it basically works the muscles of the eye, right? Without your periphery, 2,000 years ago, you'd be dead because you wouldn't see an animal that comes your way. Without your periphery in the jungle, you can't exist. And the periphery doesn't look, it sees. The central vision uh, looks. So we forgot we have periphery. That's basically what happened. And uh, in our life, we train ourselves to not pay attention to the periphery, but we must pay attention to it. Probably, if we had better periphery, we would have much less accidents. Oh, definitely. We'd probably get rid of 90% of them. Wow. Well, that, and what would you suggest people who have normal eyesight, um, who might be feeling like their eyes are, uh, you know, not as great as they used to be, or maybe they're okay, but they're working on the computer a lot. What do they do? So, they first do? of all, every day for 20 minutes, look at the distance. Wave your hands to the side so you know there's periphery around you, but look at the distance. And this is a very good friend of mine, Eric Pepper, wrote the book, uh, How to Get Rid of Zoom Fatigue. It's a tech book. Yeah, so he tells you what exactly I'm telling you. Look away. Stand out of, the, of your Zoom. So look away for about four or five minutes before you start to work. 
and every uh, 15 minutes look away for 10 seconds or sometimes do the exercise of moving from side to side really resting from looking at the computer um, pay attention to your periphery sometimes you type and pay attention there's a wall here there's a wall here so you can wave your hands the periphery senses movement that's why you wave your hands because we sense trees moving that's how we notice things peripherally so um, basically I would say that paying attention to uh, the side looking at the distance that you allow the lens to stretch so it doesn't only contract when you look from near that can make a difference we can prevent a lot of eye problems because I predict that because we look so much at books and computers we could end up having cataracts in younger ages having macular degeneration in younger ages and because we sit so much and because when we exercise we exercise with great vigor I predict arthritis and all kinds of problems uh, quite a bit so what I really want people to do is to move a lot move you know there's an author who, who said author wrote the book The Body Has Its Risen his name is Therese Berterard and she said your body is your house you're the landlord and a long time ago you lost the keys well I want you to get your keys back with deep kinesthetic awareness with a sense that you could move more loosen your connective tissue and you would do much better well that's that's a great uh analogy um and and i could say that uh, oftentimes we, we haven't only lost the keys we've also stopped paying rent exactly very good <laughs> very good and it's a good way for us to consummate our conversation and uh, to say there's much more available for us than we know that people with paralysis can get better People with uh, back pain can give up on the back pain. And all people can get rid of their glasses. And all people could prevent many problems. It's only a question of what we do about our eyes and about our body. Yeah, and as a last note, I feel that your message is, is more important than ever now. Uh, because we're so much, all of our life now has moved over to the computer and it's probably not going to move away from the computer anytime soon no but we need to rest from it i mean just like what i suggest for you with the chair that we stand yeah. and stretch uh i suggest with the computer that we look away first look away again and again understand that yes we need the computer for what we do but we also need to take care of the eyes that were meant to be in nature as a last tip, would you suggest in order to do palming in the most effective way to relax ourselves, should we organize ourselves like a box to put on the desk so that we rest our elbows on it and, and put our palms over our eyes? I have what's called palming stick. And whenever we palm, we should not uh, get our head back or forwards. And so we put the hands around the eye orbits and we elevate the elbows. So a palming stick is a, very, is a great thing that we sell, but you can put a box, you can put pillows, and put your hands around the eye orbits and rest the eyes in a nice way. Definitely. Mayor Schneider, it was a pleasure to have you on Changemakers. You are a changemaker. You are saving people's eyes and lives and, and their freedom, their ability to move in the world, to be independent. 
and such a gift is uh, is very very expensive as we say in Hebrew it's very uh, there's there's nothing better as a treasure and I want to tell you that talking to you was wonderful and I think that you're going to do very good things in the world thank you very much Maya. thank you That was part two of my interview with Dr. Mayor Schneider. I hope you received input and insight into your life on how we can sharpen our eyesight and take care of our bodies because they are the vehicle to our life. Please support Changemakers Without Borders on Twitter, on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, and talk about it with your friends. You know, tell them about these episodes. It will help spread the word about these ordinary people as well as real leaders who are making a difference as we speak. This show is on community radio stations in Canada, Peach City Radio CFUZ in Penticton, BC, and CKWR in Waterloo, Ontario.